Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Hey, is it just me or is uh, is our buffoon of a president getting even more unstable? What, what do you think? I, I have this feeling he is. Um... I mean, if you look, <laughs> if you dare look, uh, the the trade war thing. Uh, by the way, uh, China just came out and said, uh, essentially, bring it on. You do. You want to one up it some more? We're more than willing to one up it ourselves, and we will not. Uh, we will not negotiate with you. Okay, so there's that, and then uh, there is, of course, Syria with the president saying we'll be out of there in six months. You will recall, of course, him uh, ridiculing President Obama for uh, saying that he would pull out troops from, I think, Afghanistan or something, or and, and, and saying, you never tell the enemy what you're going to do. Well, that was then, this is now. A uh, uh, report today that uh, White House aides uh, make sure that at least uh, one of them, I guess, appears every day on this Fox show that Trump watches religiously, Gene uh, Pirro. Um, and they jockey for position uh, on the show, uh, really for one reason, to get the president to listen to them because in the White House they can't get his attention. So these are White House aides <laughs> and in order to get the president's attention they have to go on television because that's the only thing he's paying any attention to. I don't know why I'm laughing. Uh, also today there uh, came out an opinion piece written by former Secretary of State Madeleine Albright that will appear in Sunday's New York Times and uh, in which she, uh, in a frankly rather chilling uh, essay, uh, says that uh, Donald Trump and his presidency are making uh, fascism uh, global fascism, the r rise of global fascism, uh, uh, much more uh, possible. I'm not going to, I maybe later in the program I can give you some of her reasoning, but I suppose you don't even need to hear her reasoning since it's pretty obvious. Trump, meanwhile, um, is refusing to do any of the sort of ceremonial things that presidents have done forever. He uh, refused to throw out the first uh, pitch uh, at the Nationals game. Uh, that, of course, is because he is uh, fearful of being booed uh, as he strides out to the mound. I think also he's scared about not being able to throw a baseball properly. That's my guess. I don't know. Anyway, he didn't do that. He also has, the White House has said he will not attend the the uh, White House Correspondents' Dinner. Uh, that would be the 
second year in a row he hasn't done that. These are all sort of difficult things that presidents have have done. Um, and, and they do get booed and they do get ridiculed and all of that, but that's just part of the part of the gig. He, of course, uh, will not take part. Uh, and the cool thing is with, you know, Scott Pruitt, the EPA, uh, or soon to be uh, X, let's hope, let's hope, uh, head of the EPA, uh, he actually said on Fox News the other day, that $50 a night was market rate for D.C. <laughs> I don't know. What galaxy are these people living in? Somebody has suggested that if that is market rate, then somebody better tell the Trump Hotel because, uh, man, uh, they're, they're way, 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 way above uh, market uh, rate. Uh, okay, now there's a, a, a story locally that uh, I suppose could happen anywhere. And I find it uh, compelling in many ways and um, informative as regards the reality of uh, sort of the neighborhood I live in, which is the east end of Pittsburgh. The east end of Pittsburgh uh, being the, uh, I guess, one of the cool places to be these days since it's being gentrified up the wazoo. And there have been times when I, at night, have been driving home and will turn a corner and 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 literally be jarred by um, an urban landscape in front of me that I don't recognize, <laughs> you know, where I lose my bearings, where I think, what? wait, where am I? You know, because a corner that maybe you don't turn on to all that much, but you turn that corner after having not turned it in, let's say, six months, and there's some huge building there, and and a restaurant and other stuff and I mean it, it and the configuration of the whole intersection is different and it's this is it's a extraordinarily uh, fluid uh, urban environment right now because land developers and flippers and real estate folk are just scarfing up everything and building I've certainly said this more than once, these ugly as hell, tacky, I don't know, uh, these are condos, apartment buildings, I don't know what they are, they're plug ugly, every one of them, look like they're intended to stand for about 20, 25 years and then be torn down so that somebody else can build some other piece of tacky crap. You know, remember the days when they used to build buildings? I mean, I, you know, working downtown, um, I sometimes walk the streets of downtown Pittsburgh, um, and unlike almost everybody else who's looking down at their cell phones, I'm looking up because the architecture, these old, amazing buildings that were built, uh, many at, at the turn of the um, century, meaning 18th to 19th, and 
they're they're just glorious and meant to stand as they do but that's not what we do anymore we build ticky tack anyway so the story is for those of you who aren't around these parts is that in uh, one of the areas of this uh, uh, gentrifying neighborhood, which we call East Liberty, uh, which used to be a very much African-American neighborhood, uh, it is now filled with uh, Google employees and other, um, you know, young people working in STEM fields, and all of these ugly buildings going up are there to house uh, these young people making incredible money. Um, and restaurants are popping up left and right all over the place. And, of course, the people who used to call East Liberty home are, are being uh, displaced. That's one of the... Uh, one of the consequences of progress in America, <laughs> what's called progress in America. Uh, people who don't have the means are uh, pushed out. Um, and that is definitely has been happening for the last 10, 15 years in uh, East Liberty. And it's pretty much a done deal now pretty much done. And atop uh, one building on uh, a corner there of Highland, what, the Highland Avenue, if I can place it for you, Highland Avenue and Baum Boulevard, um, there has been a, uh, a billboard that has a message on it of some sort that changes every few months. And um, this is considered an art installation, a changing art installation. And the message that has been on it for the last month or so uh, simply says in white letters on a black background, there are black people in the future. And I remember the first time I saw it, I uh yeah you know i i thought what um there yeah that goes without saying and then i started to think well this is in east liberty and so maybe this is uh suggesting that despite the fact that black people seem to be disappearing <laughs> around here this neighborhood uh there will be black you know i don't know as any piece of art uh it is meant to provoke thought and it did provoke some thought in me um and then bango it hit the news and it hit the news because the owner of the building on which the billboard sits uh out of nowhere said uh that's got to come down that message and 
the owner, uh, who is pretty well known in in Pittsburgh, uh, her name is Eve Picker, and she has uh, gentrified um, areas all over town, uh, often to much acclaim by uh, city fathers. And um, she's the one who built uh, one of these tiny houses. Uh, it's it's one of the things that people are saying, in the future, you know, people are going to live in these little tiny houses, and they're, they're, they're perfectly okay to live in. You can't accumulate the kind of uh, material goods that uh, Americans are wont to do in them, but you have a, a full regular house, but in, I don't know, what are they, uh, 500 square feet? I don't know, 600 square So Eve Picker, uh, of course, always sort of wanting to be on the cutting edge, uh, built one of these things in Garfield, um, another neighborhood that's being uh, scarfed up by uh, people with dollar signs in their eyes because uh, they intend to flip houses, uh, raise homes, develop, uh, put up other developments. It is, um, you know, sits right next door to East Liberty and, of course, is home to a lot of black folks <laughs> who will, are now seeing their rents rise and um, are wondering where they're going to have to go. So Eve Picker put one of these little houses, and, and I thought, well, when I first heard about it, I thought, oh, how wonderful. So maybe there'll be a way that people, you know, who don't have a lot of money can still live in these neighborhoods in a, in a home, I mean, in a real home, even if it's small. And so I made a point of, like, looking for this home. I wanted to see it. I did. I finally found it. It was just a little little square sitting back, not particularly inviting. And then I saw what she was selling it for. <laughs> she was selling it for $100,000. $100,000 in Garfield um, for what? I don't know what it was, 500 square feet? It was ludicrously overpriced. Outrageous. And whatever i'm i'm digressing anyway turns out the artist behind the uh there will be black people in the future billboard is a black woman uh, alicia b warmsley who is uh well thought of and well known in uh the art scene uh here and the fact that Eve Picker, out of all the things that have been put on that billboard, all of a sudden, I, that, that's got to come down. She said she'd gotten a lot of calls from people who said it was offensive to them and uh, possibly racist. And I looked again and I thought, there are black people in the future. How the hell is that, of <laughs> How is that offensive? I mean, maybe it's offensive to... Uh, people intent on what? Eradicating black people? <laughs> so there won't be any in the future? How is that? I don't even understand how she could have made that statement. She got a phone call or two, maybe from somebody with a little muscle or somebody who she felt she had to kowtow to. Anyway, 
That's what she said. All of a sudden she invoked something that's in the lease that says that anything put up on that billboard's got to pass her scrutiny. Uh, And all hell broke loose on social media. I mean, all hell broke loose. And then it started to break loose in uh, regular old mainstream media. Uh, Tony Norman, a a, a columnist for the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, threw in an interesting aspect to this uh, in today's paper that I don't... uh, I did not know, and I, I really do wonder if he's he's absolutely right that this is where the artist got the the sense of why she would say this. And he points out that it evoked memories um, of Richard Pryor, the the late black comedian, of um, a joke that he had on an album from 1976. And uh, here is part of that joke that Pryor told then. I went to see uh, this sci-fi drama, Logan's Run, uh, Pryor had said. They had this movie of the future called Logan's Run. Ain't no N-words in it, he tells his audience. I said, well, white folks ain't planning for us to be here in the future. And that, I mean, if, I, if, if uh, the artist uh, also knew of that uh, joke, that's a, I, one can absolutely see, uh, hey, yoo-hoo, there are black people in the future. I mean, again, as a work of art, you put on it whatever you uh, want. Um, I, by the way, I, I'm... Eve Picker, today, about two and a half hours ago, uh, did email a statement to, I guess, news folks. And she said this. This was uh, received at 7.30 this morning. This is the landlord. And here's what she said. Over the last 24 hours, we've received a number of emails from people who said they are not offended by the sign and are saddened by its removal. They far outnumber the people who originally approached us about being offended. We truly appreciate the comments from people who reached out to us in a respectful, thoughtful manner and believe the public has spoken. We are giving the tenant full approval to reinstate the original sign. In the future, we will follow the approval process outlined in the lease the tenant signed so that we are all informed and on board for all future signs. So, Eve Picker, who apparently just easy to sort of push this direction and then push that direction, Man, she capitulated very quickly, but is now telling the tenant, who sort of, I guess, curates the sign. And it, it, by the way, is a professor at CMU. uh, That in the future, I get 
to see what's going up and decide whether or not it offends, I guess, somebody's sensibilities. Again, I ask you, who, who possibly could be offended by the statement, there are black people in the future? Help me. <laughs> help me, Rhonda. Help, help. I, who, how? How could that ever be said to be offensive? It's, it, it's, it's just mind-boggling. Uh, so, um, always on things like this, I check out um, uh, my my friend Damon Young, Young's uh, take. Damon Young writes um, and uh, is the founder of uh, uh, a very, very successful, um, I don't even know what things are called anymore. Is that a blog? Is it a zine? Is it a, it's, it's huge and it's national called Very Smart Brothers. He has been a guest on this show and come to think of it, I got to have him on um, again because uh, he has been heard from. And wow, as usual, uh, Damon uh, takes no, no prisoners. He, he first of all says that um, he essentially grew up in East Liberty uh, in his kind of formative years from the time he was nine to the time he was uh, 16. Um, and then I think his parents moved out to Penn Hills. That's my memory. Uh, but, and that's what happened to a lot of black folks in East Liberty. They moved out, <laughs> that, that, that's a first, um, you know, old, uh, sort of suburb that, uh, now is, um, I don't know if it's majority black, it might be, uh, because as black, black people got pushed out of these neighborhoods, that's where, uh, they, they went. They also went there, I'm sure, for, you know, a little bit of grass <laughs> and uh, maybe to get into what they thought was a better school system. Um, he calls Eve Picker a colonizer. And, it, it, you know, it's, that is um, certainly my view as well. You know, if there's money to be made, the white folks come in and uh, they colonize what have been um, otherwise uh, neighborhoods for marginalized populations, often black. Uh, now he says Picker, th th this is par for the course for Picker. He says this is a woman who has spent the last 20 years devouring and flipping blighted land and resources in the name of making cities better. She calls herself an urban evangelist and delivers TED Talks on finding cures for the common city. She is somebody who, yeah, people listen to. And then he mentions the tiny house. She builds those god-awful tiny houses, he said, puts them in the hood, and sells them for a hundred thou. She has an online real estate and crowdfunding porthole. And, the, and he, he mentions that her staff, well, they look exactly how you'd expect them to. In other words, I guess they're all white. Um, 
And he says, of course, there are Eve pickers in every urban space today, finding new ways to pioneer and invent spaces that already actually exist, finding new methods to conceal and perhaps even erase any trace of what was once there, finding new language to euphemize what they're doing, and finding new resources and favorable ordinances and grants and governments to assist them in the process. And they will not stop until there are no black people in their futures. So, that's uh, Damon's take. And he says, as somebody who saw it happen to his neighborhood, as people who've lived in areas where this is happening can tell you the changes that happen with this gentrification, the changes are cultural, economic, sometimes even topographical, can be so stark mm -hmm, and so sudden that it causes some sort of racially tinged vertigo where if you're a black person from one of these neighborhoods, you see people who look like you displaced and replaced by people who don't. You see them jogging and walking their shih tzus down streets they wouldn't have driven on 15 years ago. You see businesses that you frequented replaced by those where, while you're not told you're not allowed in them because that's illegal, there are barriers, some invisible, some existential, some literal, erected and maintained to keep you out, to make you feel unwelcome, to communicate that this place that you once called home is no longer a place for you. And he does go on to say that um, the changes can induce a kind of ambivalence uh, in even the most radical of black people because some of the changes that they're seeing and we're seeing are not bad. Some you might even appreciate. And not every new entity comes in with this colonizing mindset. Some, he, he says, are mindful of what happened and what's currently happening to the community and genuinely wish to engage members of it. So, and then he says, and then there are people like Eve Picker who exemplify the white people colonizer. So there it is. And, and you know, it's interesting because, uh, as I said, his audience is national, maybe international. Um, and because he lives here, he often uses Pittsburgh uh, as fodder for his columns, which reach a huge number of people. And I got to tell you, this is not the kind of picture of Pittsburgh that the white power structure wants out there. But it is a true picture. <laughs>
of Pittsburgh. And I so appreciate his presence here and his eloquent voice. Very smart brothers, B-R-O-T-H-A-S. If you haven't ever checked it out, please do. Always, always, especially for white folks, who's not the intended audience. I mean, you know, white people like me are not the intended audience. But we can eavesdrop. <laughs> I I sometimes feel like I when I, I I sometimes get that feeling that that he says a black person can get when they just sense they're not welcome. <laughs> you know, sometimes I have that feeling that I am not particularly welcome in this space because, um, and I would never think to like post on it because there's amazing comments on, on it um, because I, I respect that it's a place for, um, for black, younger, it seems to me younger black professionals. Really, uh, it's a, such a, the audience is so damn smart that it's a, it's a pleasure to uh, you know, read the comment section, and um, it is a way for us white folks to maybe get a little bit more educated. I refuse to use the word woke. Okay, sorry, I just can't. Oh, we have a caller, and I forgot. Are they still there? Really? Hello. Are you hey, there? Man, it's Mike in DC. Oh, Mike, I'm sorry. I absolutely forgot you were there. <laughs> okay. Sorry. <laughs> I did my laundry and got the dog in it. <laughs> Good. So I have a clue for you about why there are black people in the future got complaints. Good. So Tell I'm a white guy who was raised in Brookline and went to Catholic schools most of my life. And, and raised by a racist family who tried to hide it. Right? They would say offensive things but not really know that it was racist. So they were doing their best, but it, it was a racist family. And we learned that to bring it up at all, to bring up someone's race at all, is racist. Because they were so unsure, what do you mean? Like my father used to say when we would pass a pool that was mostly black kids, he would say, oh yeah, pass the inkwell on your right, blah, blah, blah. So years later, I said, why is that pool called the inkwell? He's like, you know, because black kids swim in there, and if you swim in there, you'll become black too. Ha ha. Oh my and God. I said, Daddy, that's racist and offensive. So they would say things like that. So instead of looking at their behavior and what they said, and they would just say, if you don't say race at all, then you can't be offensive or called a racist. Oh, okay. So there's a huge part of the white population that believes the first person who says black or African-American is a racist in an argument. Okay, so they're bringing up this divisive issue, this issue that makes us uncomfortable, and, uh, yeah, they're using race, and that's racist or something. Is that it? Yeah, that's it. Right. Just bringing, any, bringing up the topic at all. If President Obama is black. That means you're a racist because you brought up black. So they want to believe that we're all the same, and I was taught this. I really was. I was taught that we're all the same, Michael. Black kids are the same. Asian kids are the same. We're all the same. And I get what my parents are trying to teach me. <laughs> what they 
let out is that we all have a different cultural norm. We're all the same worth, but we all have a different background, a different cultural experience. And they were, again, trying their best. But there's a part of the population that believes if you bring it up at all, that means you're racist. Okay. So you're introducing race into the topic. Uh, okay. But still, I'm so sorry. How could you think she got a lot of uh, that people would react no. that that was racist or even that she thought? Two that? white people said, I'm sick and tired okay. of being called racist. So whoever put that up there and mentioned black, they're a racist. And I'm going to call and tell them. It's okay. like this reverse fox. I'm a victim because yeah. I'm put upon because I can't say bigoted things. God. I'm sure she well, I think you're okay. calls from some white people. Yeah, I think you're right. Or not even calls. Someone at a party or out to dinner with her said something and, you know, whatever. Yeah, it. she was not deluged with, uh, with emails from Pittsburghers who were outraged by the statement that there are black people in the future. And if she is, like my family, and wants to not be sound racist, and doesn't want to take the effort to look at what, why, what, is my, what about my behavior is racist, um, then she would be afraid to put the word black on a billboard. And so, oh my gosh, there's black on a billboard. Somebody's going to call me a racist. And be so afraid of the discussion that it's better just not to talk about it. Wow. It's called risk-averse. Let's do nothing that's risky. That way I can't get in trouble or I can't get hurt. Incredible. Oh, dear. So anyway. And Logan's Run is, yeah. a, is a hilarious, fun movie if you've never, if I've never seen it. I've never seen it. No, I never saw it. But apparently, there's, fascinating. but apparently there are no black people in it. There aren't, yeah. Everybody <laughs> wears only three different color uniforms. They kill you when you're like 29. They kill you because... Yeah, it's a fascinating movie. <laughs> well, did they kill all the black people? They don't even, uh, they don't make any mention of what happened yeah, to the Yeah, they're black not people. even in the movie. It's only people under 29. I mean, old people die. Old people meaning 30 and above, I think that's it. It might be younger than that, but yeah. Oh. 30 and above die. Sarah Fawcett's in it for a minute. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I think I'll pay. But I'm relieved I, to know. Yeah, but the, and, and the irony is, most of us will be more black in the future, yeah. not less. Uh, the yeah, that's I think one of the things. It's the black president we had, and that fact, that demographic reality, that has begot this all of this uh, frightened white folk behavior. It's just unbelievable. Oh God. Well, Mike, thank yes, you. And like. And one last thought, as Chris Rock says, whoever you hate most is who your daughter is going to bring home as her fiancé. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope. So all these people that are racist, <laughs> you have an interesting future in front of you. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Be, Actually, that, that reminds me of something my, my brother once caustically said. Um uh, he said, so kids, uh, white white kids go away to college. 
I mean, he said this back in God, decades ago. White kids go back to college, and when they rebel against uh, their parents, the way that a a white Christian rebels is they, yeah, they bring home a Jew. <laughs> right. They bring home a Jew. He said, so what's a Jew to do? They bring home a black person. That's and you know there there is there that Chris Rock is is like you know sort of right on I think with that. I'm Beth writes when you brought up this morning what you brought up this morning has been bothering me for years. Well, <laughs> yeah, join the crowd. The same 20-something new money-styled housing that you are seeing in East Liberty and the Strip District, you also see in Columbus, in Nashville, in L.A., in Louisville, in Baton Rouge, in Atlanta, and every other American city. I should say Beth works in the um, film industry uh, for 20th Century Fox, and she goes where they're making films, so she does see uh, America. And she says, she says, and I mean the exact same look, color, and shape. If you had to guess what city you are in, based on this new construction, you would have no clue. You know, it's interesting, because I used to say, when... Uh, white flight happened and we pushed out into you know suburbs and exurbs that that landscape uh the the strip malls and the and the fast food restaurants um you know that the outskirts of absolutely every city in the country looked exactly like every other city in the country and it freaked me out, and it's only gotten more so, right? So now the in the inner city, not the outskirts, because the the urban centers all looked unique. You know, they they did. They weren't cookie cutter. They had a personality. They had a look, a profile, and no more is what. Beth is telling us. She says, the thing that was wonderful, this is past tense, the thing that was wonderful about seeing another city was that region's individual architectural look and style. Sadly, there are few cities that are keeping their own individuality. As I live for a good bit of time in many of these places, I have also noticed that the soul, that the personality of these cities is also eroding. And that makes me saddest of all. All I can say is, wake up, she says, planning and zoning commissions. Fat chance, dear. Mixed neighborhoods are what gave your cities individual style. Not this cookie-cutter, homogeneous ticky-tack crap. Tell me, is there any of all those buildings being built in the, in the Strip, these, you know, new housing uh, stuff, and in uh, East, East Liberty, and in uh, Lawrenceville, and Gar 
are any of them in any way something that you would stop and look at and be in any uh, be awed by be grateful <laughs> that some visionary put that up added something of real value to the landscape to your neighborhood and you know, I mean, here in Pittsburgh, I'm sorry, there's pretty much about two, <laughs> seems to me, there's two developers that are doing almost all of this. And they employ, uh, I guess, architects who just keep spitting out this ticky-tack crap. In my neighborhood, I remember when they mowed down an architectural eyesore that was uh, built in the 50s, probably, maybe 60s or 70s. It was Reisenstein School. It looked like, it looked like a bomb shelter. It looked like a, a bunker. There were no windows in it. This was a school. There were no windows. It was just this concrete horror. And... When the development started, Reisenstein was one of the first things that went down. And I remember thinking, oh, thank God. Because whatever goes up has, is going to be so much better. And it's not. That is now Bakery Square. That's where Google headquarters are. That's where tons of this disgusting housing for the Google people and everything else has gone up. And you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of East Germany. <laughs> it does. The, the sameness, the blockiness, the lack of any, yeah, soul. And it also looks like a bunch of ticky-tack. And I don't hear anybody else saying this. You know I've been saying this for years and years and years. And I say it even though I actually know the people who are putting up most of this stuff. They ain't friends of mine, but I've served on boards with a few of them, and I encounter them in places uh, socially, and it's very uncomfortable for me. But I, I hate what they're doing. This is considered progress. I beg to differ. We have a call. Caller, hello. Uh, good morning, Lynn. Hi. George. Hi, George. Hi. Uh, I had to get my two cents in on this. Uh, <clears throat> okay, I, uh, okay, my qualification, I studied uh, industrial design at Carnegie Mellon University mm -hmm. back in the early 70s. Yeah. And this process you're talking about with architecture, architecture is related to industrial design, uh, but I got to know some architectural students at the time and everything. But here's my take on it. Uh, this is a process that has been going on for about uh, at least 40 years. Oh, yeah. yeah. And that is that maybe 50 years even, and you could stretch it back. But uh, uh, bottom line is, What's going on in architecture is that 
the uh, the once golden age <laughs> of architecture that had that was current concerned with aesthetics is gone. It's completely gone, and all the edifices that are not all, but a lot of them are being taken down, uh, which is a real crime. And what's being replaced is the architecture you see right now that you're upset about, and I agree with you. I'm upset to see it, too. The bland, um, bare edifices, I I call it, that uh, represent today's architecture. But here's what it's based on. It's all about cost. It's all about the amount of money it takes to put up a building of whatever it may be. Uh, It could be a school. It could be a college. It could be an office park. It could be a factory. The the uh, they've squeezed the aesthetic out of architecture. It is now bare bones on money only. You know, with construction costs, with material costs, with profits. The developers make huge profits on this, and so do the contractors. Yeah. And if they're public buildings, they get squeezed even more. Uh, there are very few visionary aesthetic uh, buildings that are being built today. They're usually private. Well, if anybody has seen, if any, t- tell me. In the last 10 years, has anything gone up in Pittsburgh that you would call visionary? I mean, I'm really trying to think. No, no. No, not at all. I don't see anything. Everything that was here is being taken down. Oh, God forbid. Remember, as much as people didn't like it, everything, the Civic Arena was one of those visionary architectural projects. it. It was innovative. It was aesthetically pleasing. It was functionally well done. But it was cutting edge, and it was the first of its type. Well, and it let, was expensive. Yeah, but let us recall, it also obliterated a third of a black neighborhood. Well, yeah, that's the background on it, which <laughs> often happens too, which is hap- which is public development, which is what you know. That's oh, it's progress. Is. That's progress. Yeah, well, George. <laughs> right. But uh, the point is, uh, just looking at the design of these buildings and not their developmental history. Yeah, we've had some. Uh, actually, the Pittsburgh Airport, the old one, was a visionary, sort of an Art Deco piece itself, and it was completely obliterated. They tried to save it historically to repurpose it. It was completely destroyed also. So anytime Pittsburgh seems to make advances in architecture uh, with some aesthetics in it, it gets obliterated <laughs> and then replaced by some completely... Um, pedestrian, pedestrian. A, a factory, yeah, a factory for, low cost. That's right, uh, forgettable. Uh, yeah, like you can right. order it out of a Sears catalog, and it is. And that's you know, going so, on across the country. Well, I know it is, Airport. but so here's what it is: when you live in a culture in which money, money is the yep. the be all and end all, and aesthetics, as you say. Uh, are are just, you know, I'm sorry, we don't have time for that frivolity. Or Um, we don't have money for it. Oh, no, of course not. No, no, because then we won't make as much. It's it's just, and it shows a contempt for the future. It shows, it's all about getting mine now. Right. Right. And getting my profit out of this 
now. Right. And I don't give a damn about the future of what this building. No. In fact, most of the buildings being put up are disposable. Exactly. They don't put up buildings to last anymore. They, no. They are just short cost, short term cost. That is right. Effective, and that's it. They don't care what they do in ten, twenty years out. To hell with them. I got uh, my money. Yeah. Destroyed and replaced. That's absolutely correct. One last thing. Okay. The quick. last gasp of. What? I said quickly because I got. Last, yeah, the last gasp of aesthetics was. Uh, I'm not sure the year, but I think it was the late 70s when the federal government tried to enforce a regulation that put anywhere from 7 to 15 percent of the cost of the building to have aesthetics as a part of it. Uh, I think it got watered down. It got beaten. By, it passed. It got watered down, beaten down, and I think it got repealed and it's gone. So there is no public interest in ever putting aesthetics into anything, any building, uh, of when it's being publicly uh, paid for okay okay that's my point. thank you george appreciate it See thank you, you. yeah bye Jeez. all right dang <sighs> and, and and just another quick thing just about pittsburgh you know amazon amazon have they paid us a visit yet apparently not well i gotta tell you um i've seen a few letters to the editor uh, about this, and I so concur. This last one that I, I just pulled out to remind myself to say something on the show uh, is by John Cordera of Bethel Park, and it's headlined, What a Dump. And he very tersely says, I drive all around the Pittsburgh region for work every day. Are the local, county, state, and U.S. representatives blind? I, 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 this is local. You don't need an ad. This is local. Local and county, I, I would say. Why is there so much garbage all over the place? This region is a dump compared with other places I have visited. When it comes to trash, litter. Why would Amazon come here? Um, I agree. If I were coming in and I took my route from my house to this building on Smithfield, I would not come here. If that was my entry into Pittsburgh, I would be looking around and saying, are you kidding me? There's garbage and on highly trafficked you know I get off the boulevard of the allies and snake down and then immediately peel off into the downtown on what would that be 7th Avenue um, and amidst all that concrete and ramps there is such <laughs> it's unbelievable garbage and I, you know, I think of our progressive city government, um, so excited about what's happening here and the possibilities and all that. They don't see this. We look like a dump. Sorry, but we do. And it'd be interesting to hear from Beth, who travels all over the country, if this is something also that she sees in other cities because I have to tell you I travel enough 
that I don't know that I see, and maybe I'm more uh, sensitive because this is my city that I see it, but I don't know. Chicago, St. Louis, I've been, you know, I, 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 I don't see the trash that we have here. And it is ugly and it is off-putting, just want to say. Also want to point out, this is just a, a for those of you, I know we got a lot of Penn State grads in the audience. And just want to point out that uh, HBO on tomorrow night, 8 p.m. I mean, obviously, it'll be there more than that. But the uh, premiere, uh, tomorrow night, 8 o'clock, HBO. The show is Paterno. And it's not just any show. about. It's a movie about Joe Paterno. And, you know, the troubles. And it stars Al Pacino as Joe Paterno. The director is Barry Levinson, who is a marvelous director, and you would know many of the films he's put out. And the Wall Street Journal gives it a rave review. So it might be very uncomfortable watching for you Penn State guys, but you might want to take a gander because this is what's going to be seen by an awful lot of folks. And it says that the film really offers no verdict about Paterno, what he knew, what he didn't know, what he did. But it does say, and you're not going to like this, there's plenty of another kind of judgment in this film. And it is captured vividly in the recurrent images of football violence. More eloquent still are the pictures of the raging mobs rioting over the threats to paternal status. We are shown explosions of cult-like outrage that knows no boundaries and allows no questions. Um, and it's, so it's not going to show Happy Valley <laughs> in uh, a happy light, according to this. Although Paterno comes out looking, uh, looking better. And, uh, the critic says, Paterno Pacino is so convincing as Paterno and so eerily lifelike, it really is necessary from time to time to re remind yourself that this isn't, that you're not looking, I guess, at a documentary, that it's not the actual coach. Just saying. Um, Margaret wants to agree the trash is terrible she says I, I I I don't know you know if I were the mayor it would be almost a number one priority for me I know it seems silly it seems so superficial but uh-uh because if we want 
to be who we think we are, this new wondrous town. And if we think for a minute that Amazon is going to be wowed by us, I'm sorry. Maybe this is a woman's point of view. We women are generally the ones who do most of the cleaning. And I seem to recall that when we had a woman as mayor, the one and only time. Remember? Sophie! Sophie talked about cleaning up. It was important to her. And I guess because she was a woman as well. Uh, Roger writes, your caller who says architecture is about, about all about cost is almost 100% correct. Most everything I see today is computer generated and made cookie cutter. I have been in the construction trade for over 30 years and architects have become a dime a dozen. For creative young people, architecture is probably the last industry they'd want to enter. Their value has gone the same path as art history and philosophy majors and librarians. While cost has always been a concern, today it is all about money. That's the val that's the only value we recognize as a as a culture. We value people by how much they make, right? Uh we determine whether or not somebody is a success <laughs> based on the amount of money in a paycheck. I mean, that is so disgusting an idea. And I would say the majority of Americans subscribe to it. So that if somebody makes, has as the way they works at a trade or as my son does, a baker, they're not getting rich. But they're actually creating something that people want. Something of value. And they are not valued at all. At all. And the people and the positions that are valued are often, the, to me, the most I rather than trash, I throw them out as trash. The things we value, all the people uh, working in all the big buildings downtown, the paper pushers, the cookie cutters. Anyway, that's just my take. Chuck writes, so I hear what you're saying about people being displaced and neighborhoods losing their identity. But I can't argue against the influx of jobs that this city has seen from the tech and medical sectors. Yeah, we need those jobs. If you want to keep the youth from moving away, you need companies like Google and Apple to put down roots here. I hope Amazon comes here to Pittsburgh. There will be growing pains, but we need it. Well, Chuck, you and I are going to have to disagree on that. <laughs> I don't want Amazon to come here, and I feel fairly certain they won't. Um, because what is unique about us will cease to exist. 
everything I'm seeing in my neck of the woods in the East End will become all of Pittsburgh. And it's sterile. It's so damn sterile that I personally, I don't want it. Oh my God, I was just reminded that my parking is about to expire. What a world we live in, I'll tell you. Okay, I think that's it. I think that's it. That's it for the week. My God, it's Friday. Have a great weekend, guys. Um, it's going to snow <laughs> and be cold and all of that. But I'm telling you, I'm looking at the calendar and time is on our side, even if it doesn't feel like it. So have a good one. Bye. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.